Man, what a privilege it is to worship together today, isn't it? That's a privilege. And they were singing loud, too. It was pretty amazing. If you enjoy worship, uh, this is a great segue into um, letting you know about our worship night that's happening this Wednesday night. It's happening downtown at the Meals on Madison stage. So if you don't know, downtown Port Clinton, they closed off part of Madison Street for the summer, and they put a big stage down there, and they have bands that come through and whatnot. And so on Wednesday night, Spencer and a band, they are going to just have a worship night downtown. And we've invited all the other churches to come out and worship with us right downtown Port Clinton. So hopefully you can come out Wednesday night. It starts at 6.30, goes till whenever you want to leave. And so uh, that's going to be right there. You don't have to sign up or anything. Just come on out, have a good time. It, it is calling for rain, but you know what? God's in control, right? And so we're just going to kind of leave that into his hands uh, for that night. All right. So w- wings and worship and all the restaurants are having wing specials, if that is even more enticement, right? Who doesn't like a wing special now and then? So we are continuing our message series in Revelation. We're actually getting pretty close to the end. I don't know about you, but it's almost, it feels like it's like the fourth quarter, right? You're getting a little winded. You're getting a little, like, bogged down a little bit. And you're like, man, is Revelation ever going to end? Yes, it is, okay? We have two chapters left. Today's going to be Revelation chapter 21. Next week's going to be Revelation chapter 22. And then we're going to be done for this message series. But it's been, I don't, I say this often, but this series has been truly convicting, but it's also just been so enlightening to my spiritual growth, and I hope it's done the same for you in your life as well. And so Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, and in this chapter, we are going to see hope unfold before our eyes. Hope is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Hope is a very powerful thing. In fact, outside of the church context, because we talk about hope a lot here, don't we? Many churches across the country, across the world, talk about hope often, and yet we find ourselves in pretty hopeless situations in life. Outside of the church context, there's actually people who have figured out that hope is super powerful in our lives. Uh, According to Turning Lives Around with Hope from the American Psychological Association in an article, it cites a Yale case study that shows kids who have endured hardships at a young age are more likely to have a good future if they have hope. And so these kids who have hope, and yet they're going through these traumatic, tough situations, if they have hope, they have better futures than kids without any hope. Or there's another article, uh, this is actually in uh, this guy's book, Jerome Groupman, The Anatomy of Hope, How People Prevail in the Face of Illness. He says that when a patient of any illness has hope, it's just as essential as medicine in someone's healing. And so this doctor has figured out in the midst of all of these illnesses, the people who can endure through it, who can go through it, and honestly, a lot of people who then get over those illnesses are people who have hope. And so even outside of this church context, even outside of the Bible, we obviously understand there's hope, and we're going to talk about that today. But even outside of that, people are starting to see, man, hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. It is something that can get us through some of the toughest times. Now, it's so powerful. 
And here's why. Because without hope, it's easy to give up, isn't it? Without hope, it's easy to get, give up. But with it, we can endure. We can even thrive through our adversity, can't we? With hope, we can thrive through our adversity. Hope is so powerful because it causes us to look ahead and long for something that is far greater than what's right in front of us. You see, hope is something that we need to get through this life. And so the natural question after that statement is what should we hope in? What should be our hope? What is the thing we're looking forward to or looking to, like further down the road at to get us through that? What should be our hope in life? Because if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we can put our hope in, can't we? There's a lot of things that God has given us in this world that can steal our hope. It's job security, finances, family, country, entertainment, the list goes on. But you and I both know that then when we start putting our hope in things that are very temporal and temporary, they tend to fail us, don't they? One thing I always hope in is vacation. Do you guys do the same thing? Like when you have a vacation planned, isn't it amazing to see it like on the calendar and you're like, yes, I can't wait. I love you all. But I can't wait for vacation, okay? You see, it's hope. It's something I look forward to. And then we get to vacation, and guess what? I'm on vacation, and then oh, after a week, it's done. So I just had my whole hope in this thing, and yet it's gone. It's over. And I have to wait till all next year again to go back, right? You see, we do this a lot. We do this a lot where we put our hope in certain things that are very temporary and that actually end at some point. And so what should we put our hope in if we need to put in our hope in something that's not temporary, something that's a little more lasting? We need something that is certain, we need something that is sure, and we need something that is trustworthy to put our hope in. And so what is it? Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 tells us, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold, hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's inner sanctuary. Simply put, we can put our hope in God. Amen? We can put our hope in something, in someone who has given us a promise and an oath, which, mind you, both are unchangeable. The world can promise us all of these things, and often it fails to come through, and yet God doesn't. His promise and his oath, they're unchangeable. We can put our hope in God because he is our confident refuge that we can run to. He's a fortress. He is someone we can go to knowing it's going to withstand the trials of our lives. We can put our hope in God because he is strong. He is trustworthy. He's the strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls that we can hold on to. And we can put our hope in God because he has provided a way into the inner sanctuary through his son, Jesus Christ. I love that highlighted verse. The hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. A lot of you are boaters out there. It's pretty important to have an anchor. We were at the beach the other day, and it was pretty windy, and all of a sudden this boat comes in, and they looked like they were going right for the rocks. 
and you could see them scrambling, okay? Maybe you've been there before, and someone on the boat just like sprinted to the back, got the anchor, and just chucked it, like didn't even care, like hoping that this anchor would hold that boat. It did. It did. Sometimes that's how we feel in life, right? We just feel like we're heading toward the rocks. We feel like we're drifting away, and yet when we have our hope in Christ, he's that anchor. We may drift, but yet it's going to hold us down. You see, we can hope in our God, and today the hope that lies before us that this is talking about, we're going to see it unfold in Revelation 21. This is the hope that as believers, as Christians, as people who have faith in Jesus Christ, that we can look ahead because this is what lies before us. And so let's read it today. And honestly, I think this is a pretty powerful passage, so would you actually stand with me as we read this all all together? I'll read it to you. Don't read with me, but we're going to read it today. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. In other words, this is, you can put your hope in this. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. You can have a seat today. It's here that we see the hope that lies before us. We actually see the hope of heaven today. Verse 1 shows us, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Now, what's really important to distinguish today is to distinguish between what John is describing here in Revelation chapter 21 and the idea that the, uh, of heaven that the world has painted for us. Because I don't know about you, but when I was a child, like this is what I thought heaven was like. Like somehow you magically just got wings and lived in the clouds, or even better yet, like you were going to be this little naked baby angel playing a harp. And I'm not joking, like that was my idea of heaven, and there are times as children you're like, I don't want to go there. That seems lame. But that's what, I mean, one of my favorite, favorite movies, um, which is, it's it's blowing my mind right now. Why can't I think of it? Anyways, we'll talk about it. But Clarence the angel, maybe you know what I'm talking about, is, um, what is it? Oh, my word. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful life. Yes, every Christmas. And you knew it, Clarence the angel. So Clarence the angel, what's he trying to get? His wings, right? So that's what the world's painting us, this picture, like getting your wings and going to heaven. 
And so I think Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride says it best. When it comes to heaven, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what it means, okay? And so what we need to do is really distinguish between what John is describing here in Revelation chapter 21 and what, what heaven is basically. And so let's talk about heaven today. And so the image of heaven is very important to, for us to understand because the Bible mentions heaven over 500 times, but in three different ways, okay? So the Bible talks about heaven and then like 50 times in Revelation itself, but 500 times. And so when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about heaven in three ways. First, the, it talks about the earth's atmosphere where the clouds and the birds are. And then it talks about the starry heavens where the sun, moon, stars, and planets are. And then the third heaven it talks about is this unique dwelling place of God where angels and Christ followers will live for eternity. And so Revelation chapter 21 is describing this third heaven where God and his people will live for eternity. But here's the deal. This has not been created yet and no one is there. All right? No one's there yet. It hasn't happened yet. So then we have to ask, well, where do people go when they die? That's a great question. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us, it says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll, we will be at home with the Lord. So when we're away from these earthly bodies, we do go to be a home with the Lord. Jesus promised that to the criminal on the cross, didn't he? He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. And so what we have to distinguish between is that when we die here on earth, we do go to a paradise, a temporary place to be with Jesus. But really focus on that word temporary. Because at some point, that paradise is going to give way to what John is talking about today. This new heaven and this new earth that God is going to usher in, in which we can live with him for eternity. And so then we have to ask the question, well, what's the new heaven and the new earth going to be like? In short, this new heaven and this new earth will be like this earth, but far greater than we can ever imagine. It's going to be far superior than, what, than this earth or really what we can imagine in life. And here's why. Verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. So think about everything that's broken today. There's a lot of brokenness, isn't there? Physically, socially, emotionally, everything. There's, there's so much brokenness. And Jesus says, look, I am making all things new. And so what's going to be new about this earth? And I think the, the one thing we really need to highlight is in 2 Peter 3.13. It says, but we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. That's what's going to be new. A world filled with God's righteousness. What this means is, is that this new earth is going to be ruled by love, peace, life, goodness, and justice instead of being ruled by sin and death and evil and hate and pride. Do you see the difference there? It's going to be filled with this righteousness. It's going to be ruled by God. Now, there's much debate within a lot of people of whether God's just going to completely destroy this old earth or if he's going to renew or renovate this earth here. We don't really truly know, but scripture seems to point to the idea of restoration. Do you guys know what restoration is? 
If you don't, you haven't watched enough HGTV. Restoring earth to its pre-sin and death condition. That's what restoration is to God. It's restoring this earth to its pre-sin and its pre-death condition, the condition found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And if you don't know what restoration is, very simple. You take something old and you make it new, okay? Very simple, okay? So you have the, that car. Someone said, oh, this is a cool car. I'm going to restore it. That's the same car as this picture, which is kind of crazy. So this idea of restoration is literally making all things new. Jesus is doing the same thing with the new earth. He's removing what is bad, and he's restoring it back to good. Now, if you've read Genesis chapter 1, when God creates everything day by day, what does he say? It's good. It's good. So this new earth is going to be restored back to its pre-sin and pre-death state, which is good. That word restoration is so important for us to understand because it's actually the fourth chapter in what's called the meta-narrative of Scripture, in short, the whole story of the Bible. So if you take a 30,000-foot view look at the Bible, the meta-narrative of Scripture, there's only four chapters. You have creation, Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates everything good. God made it, and it was good. It's pretty simple. But then Genesis 3 happens where all of a sudden we, humanity, messed it up. We messed it up, where God said, hey, listen, don't eat of this tree. You have everything you need in me, and all of a sudden, we're tempted to this idea to set ourselves up as God. We messed it up, and we took it, and we keep doing that, don't we? We keep placing ourselves as God in our own lives. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked since Genesis 3, okay? That's the fall, but then the rest of the Bible, God starts working, doesn't he? Genesis 3.15, he promises redemption. From Genesis 3.15 all the way to the Gospels, we see God just working with his people, choose, choosing his people, going further, and then all of a sudden in enters Jesus. Born of a virgin, he lives perfectly on this earth so that he can go to the cross, so that he can give his life, so that we may have life, so that he can give his breath, so that we can have breath in life. Jesus rescues us. And then he ascends into heaven and then sends the Spirit. And as we have the Holy Spirit, we are waiting for the day. We have our hope set on the idea of this final restoration where God is going to renew all things and it is good. That's the meta narrative of Scripture. That is this story. God is going to restore, He's going to renew all things. That's something that we can set our hope on, this idea that it's going to be made new. What's broken is going to be whole. And so when you think about the new heaven and the new earth, when you start placing your hope on that, we have to ask the question, what is it going to be like living there? What is it going to be like when we're there? I like so here's what Whitmer says. He says, redemption restores rather than obliterates creation. So here's a good rule of thumb for deciding what will be on the new earth. Because a lot of people ask this question, like, what's heaven going to be like, okay? And so just read your Bibles, you'll, you'll figure it out. If the item in question belongs to creation, okay, mind you, Genesis 1 and 2, expect it to be here. If it belongs to the fall, Genesis 3, expect it to be gone. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. If it's part of Genesis 1 and 2, expect it to be on this new heaven and new earth. If it's part of Genesis 3 and on, expect it to be gone. All right? 
It's, it's truly that simple. So just a few things that come to mind. This is, this is not an exhaustive list, just things that come to mind. One of the things, the taste and purpose of food. Food's pretty amazing, isn't it? Some of us, our lives just run on this, okay? And that's great. But here's the deal. God created the garden. He gave them food that is good to eat, didn't he? It was good to eat. But here's the difference. In the fallen sinful world, we eat for strength. We eat to be sustained, and we eat to live, Right? But in the new earth, we are not going to eat for fulfillment or satisfaction because we're going to find our full satisfaction in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know what's interesting is that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you remember what Peter said that the earth earth is going to be filled with? God's righteousness. And so when we eat in heaven, we're not going to eat for this idea of fulfillment or like I'm super hungry, I need to eat. We're going to eat for pure enjoyment because we're already going to be satisfied in Christ. We're already going to be full with the righteousness of Jesus. That's one thing I can't wait for. The next thing we look at is the wholeness of humanity. We're no longer going to be broken human beings, broken physically, emotionally, socially. In our glorified state, we will be whole. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear. Uh, Joe already talked about this from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No more wheelchairs, no more chemo, mental illness, worry, anxiety, grieving. These things are products of sin, and they're going to be gone. They're going to be gone. And then the next thing we look at is the beauty on earth. You know what's funny is that when there's a really cool sunrise or sunset here, and you go on Facebook, there's like a hundred of you that post the same picture, right? Because sunsets and sunrises are beautiful, aren't they? Now imagine, imagine our God, our Savior being the sun. You can't even imagine it, can you? Because it's far beyond the beauty that we can even think of in our lives. You see, I love how uh, in verse 21, it even, just this is about the new Jerusalem. It says the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. So think about that for a moment. And the main street was pure gold and clear as glass. And that's only the gates and the streets, mind you. Think about everything else that God has promised us. So the rule of thumb, if, For what's here on the new earth. If God created it, it stays and will be far superior to what we can imagine. If it's a product of the fall, sin, and death, it goes and it's gone for eternity. But you know, we have to fight this American mentality, though, of this idea of like, what what do I receive in heaven? Because a lot of times it's like, ooh, what do I get to do up there? Because we're American-minded. We only think about ourselves a lot, don't we? And so we really have to ask, like, what's What's the best part of the new heaven and earth? Like, what's, what's the best thing that's going to happen? And so let's look at that real quick. Here's the best thing. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God himself will be with them. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. I saw no temple in the city. 
For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. The best part of the new earth can be summed up in one word, and it is a word of hope that all of us need to hold on to, and it's that word, Emmanuel. It's that word, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's our hope. Emmanuel, God with us in the beginning of the Gospels when we read about Jesus being born of a virgin. God with us, right? Lived amongst us, walked with us, died for us, resurrected for us. And then now we get to live this life with hope in Jesus, but also hope in the next coming. Because it's going to be Emmanuel again. It's going to be God with us again. And the fact that we'll get to be face to face with God, he's going to dwell amongst his people. Not only dwell amongst his people, he's going to be the light. He's going to be everything we need. The the best part of heaven is not wings. It's not the gold streets. It's not the food. It's not all of that. It's the fact that we get to be in the presence of our God, that is hope that lies before us. That is something that as we traverse through this super sinful and chaotic and really sometimes disappointing life, as we go through some pretty rough seasons of life where we don't know if we can get through, we're losing all hope, everything seems to be kind of getting taken away from us or or the rugs pulled out, whatever, however you want to say it. As believers, if we believe in his word and the idea that this is what is before us, we have something that we can hold on to because there's something that lies before us. It's an anchor for our soul. It's an anchor that we can hold on to. That's the hope that we get to have humanity enjoying God for eternity. I want you to ask yourself, are you excited for heaven? Are you hopeful for what you will receive in heaven? Or are you hopeful for who you'll be with in heaven? It makes a lot of difference in this life. It makes a lot of difference. This should be our hope today. And so because I love you, I want to encourage you to continue to think about this new heaven and this new earth that's promised to us. This new heaven and new earth that God will usher in at some point, this new heaven and new earth that's only made possible through Jesus and Jesus alone. I want you to think about this and grasp it as your hope because throughout the centuries, the people who have held on to that as their hope, they've done the most to advance the kingdom of Jesus. 
And so a lot of people who are like, oh, you're just so heavenly minded and you've got to think about the earth. No, being heavenly minded makes you think about the earth because you want people to experience the same hope that you have. And so I want you to think about how you're living your life, what you're placing your hope in, because I'm telling you, and you know this to be true. I don't have to tell you again. You've done it. I've done it. We've placed our hope in things that have failed us time and time and time again. Isn't it it time to put our hope in something that won't fail us? That's right out there in front of us to see and to hold on to as an anchor that's going to keep our soul close. Hope in Jesus, hope in our God is not fleeting. It's certain, it's sure, and it's trustworthy. That's our hope. Let's pray.